Driver Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. I have my friends here. My name's Phil Grooms. I've got my friends Santiago Beltran and Matt Baker, of course, who everyone there is, is very familiar with at this point. Matt, let's start with you. How are you doing, man? Doing well, Phil. I'm excited to get into this Orlando game. I'm excited to have finally coming off of a game, going into one. We're back in the thick of things, and we're kind of in the home stretch here. And it really feels like it. It feels it doesn't feel like fall outside by a long shot when we're recording this. But I think hope is on the horizon, and it's going to be a fun run. It is, Santiago. It's it. Are we? We're pretty far through the season now. Kind of as Matt was saying there, we just got a long break. How, how's this uh, season feeling for you right now? Well, it's great to to be back, have some uh, soccer, finally some games. Um, it was a long break, uh, at least for me. Like uh, I felt like it went forever, but hey, we're finally here, and St. Louis won. They score a lot of goals, and and we're here to preview Orlando, which should be another exciting game. Yeah, I had a, a bit of a break here. So, you know, the break did our, our, our boys some good. We'll see if it does me any good or if I'm going to be rusty today. So let's all wish me some luck today. Uh, but let's get right into it. I'm going to hand it right off to Matt because we did have a nice 6-3 win, as Santiago said, against Austin FC. And uh, Matt, maybe we can start with you on our, our little takes here on how that game went. Yeah, for anybody who's just tuning into this, our, our full flavor fallouts out for Santi and my hour-long take on this Austin game. But coming away from it and leading into Orlando, I think it really gives us confidence. Uh, we had the long layover, long layoff with the League's Cup break, and we didn't know the form and fitness that we would have coming into this game. And to be quite honest, Klaus not being available is the absolute only uh, negative thing that we had to look at, and we had to be scraping the barrel to find that because of how well the team performed and seeing Nuke V Thorson, seeing Joachim Nilsson debut, those were exciting moments and they were almost the cherry on top to the six goal outburst. And it wasn't just six goals the way this team had been scoring goals, which is off of set pieces, corner kicks, free kicks. This team had a massively successful game against Austin in the run of play. And we carried forward the scrimmage from Atlanta United two weeks ago where Sam and Deneron, Nico Joachini, and Tomas Ostrock scored. Those were three of our scorers in this game, too. They scored five of our goals. So that was incredibly exciting to see that form carry over. And, and having talked to Nico this week, it just seems like that's that's building as opposed to there was this, this uh, crescendo to Austin. It seems more things are continuing to build positively. And so I love to see all the confidence, all the excitement, despite the heat and, and all the things that has that went on for Austin that's been going on this week, the team seems like they're rallying around each other. It was an exciting game for Tim Parker. Everything that you wanted to see coming out of the League's Cup break, we saw. Absolutely. Santiago, any thoughts about the Austin game? Well, great to um, start this last stretch of the season with a win, especially considering that after the game on Wednesday, uh, 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 after the game on Wednesday against Dallas, uh, the team will go on a three-game, three-away game, three away game um, streak, which um, it's important to start with points. Hopefully, the team can get a good result against Orlando, then get a win against Dallas, and and go free um, to the start of those three games. That will be like the last long uh, road 
stretch for the team. But uh, it was important. It was important to start the season, not the season, this last part of the season. The second season. Yeah, the second <laughs> season or the second home opener, as as I as I refer to it, uh, with like a win. Um, it's great to uh, be back to City Park. And um, no, it was exciting to to see uh, Nico Joachini on the board, Sam Alenier, and he uh, came from the bench and scored two goals. And Thomas Ostrak, who... Uh, had not had a lot of uh, minutes and opportunities in the last month or two. Um, mm -hmm. Get on the score, get on the scoreboard, and um, get some confidence too. It's just great to have everybody available and players scoring with confidence. Uh, with ten games left in the season, and very close to uh, securing a playoff spot, the team is in a in a great position. I think. Absolutely. I think I was, I think we, everyone was curious what the team would look like after the break, like sloppy or fresh. Uh, I'd say mostly fresh, but there was some, some slop in that game. Right. Um, and that was one thing I thought about talking about first, but I think my weird look back at that game against Austin is going to be a bit of a excitement looking forward uh, more so for me, because now we've got an absolutely packed full roster in the way that it stands. There's no room for anyone else. Right. And it just has me thinking about how close we are to the playoffs. And it's looking pretty good as you guys talked about on, on fallout and you know, the possibility of CONCACAF champions cup um, and the possibility that St. Louis might be in that. And that's a scary thing. It's a lot of games, a lot of uh, congestion, but looking at how many a healthy player St. Louis has right now has me thinking about um, as, as Carnot was asked this week, how are we going to get these guys playing time? It's a good problem to have. The competition is nice, but adding in CCC is exciting for me now because the way that St. Louis plays, there's having a lot of games I think would benefit because it isn't like the team will die without one or two players. We've seen that we can push through injuries and we can see that, um, the second team does a pretty good job when the first team isn't totally active. So that's something that I'm extremely excited about. Um, you know, we got to see a wild array of different lineups in this game alone. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see how that plays out in the future. So that's my take on Austin. Again, always check in with flyover fallout on Mondays, uh, Santiago and Matt always put together a really nice show, um, following right after that game. No rest for the weary for you guys. Um, let's look at player notes here. We have some news throughout the week. More good news to pile on top. Matt, let's start with you. Yeah, this this week continues the upward trend. Joachim Nilsson, starting off with him. He played about 10 minutes last week when you take in stoppage time. Said he had no reactions after the game, which is a positive because we found out that after his two appearances with City 2, he had to have his knee drained. And so that was a concern going into city and seeing how he would perform. And luckily that didn't happen. So you can now take that positive and continue the upward trend where Bradley Carnell is now saying that Nielsen could start at this point against Orlando, though he might not be able to go a full 90. So now you see the the quick progression, knowing the, the minutes he's put in with city two, the reactions there beginning minutes with city, having an opportunity, the lack of reactions after the game to his knee positive building there. We hope to see Nielsen in the starting 11 against Orlando. With Klaus, the big thing everybody's wondering. Klaus last played on April 22nd against Colorado, but Bradley Carnell said finally he is roster ready and also game ready, but he's not ready to start. 
He's getting there, and he reiterated this throughout the week. He said it's first on Tuesday. He reiterated it today with really no additional updates on Thursday's press conference. And, and it kind of seems like the the excitement is building. You could see him in training. He was he seemed like he was uninhibited in training uh, with the team, kind of going through the soccer tennis, going through some of the drills, the fundamentals. And it was exciting to see him out there throughout the week with no setbacks that we could tell. Um, also exciting that you hear player like Nico Joachini was there with us today in the press conference and you could tell he was excited about getting Klaus back already talking about different formations, how he would line up, what, what he needed to get his mind into with Klaus. So you can tell that there's, there's a mindset building of Klaus's return and it's imminent. If it doesn't happen with Orlando, you look for it to happen against Dallas. These things, this is, this is one of those things where at this point it seems right around the corner. Now, the only bad news I think this week comes with Jabulu Blom. He will miss the Orlando City game due to yellow card accumulations. He's had five in his last 10 games. And if you remember the Austin game, Memo Rodriguez did his job drawing hmm. the yellow card on the throw-in where Blom's arm was a little high. The, the contact it made was debatable, but he received a yellow. Bradley Carnell just said this week that it sucks and they're going to miss him, but the roster is getting stronger and healthier every day. So we'll have options and they have, I have to believe personally that this could be an opportunity for Indiana Vasilev to start at the pivot. He seems I have like to believe personally that Orlando paid him off to do exactly. <laughs> I think this is the conspiracy I'm going for. Hey, you know what? At this point, any yellow cards that we get called against us, I'll take conspiracies with. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's a, it's an opportunity for depth, but Blom will be out. Um, and then of note from Tom Timmerman's article this week, Jake Nerwinski is one yellow card away from getting a suspension as well. Mm -hmm. So whoever starts, whether it's uh, Watts or Nerwinski in Orlando or Dallas, that's something to keep in mind is Nerwinski's yellow card accumulation. Yeah, I was hoping that Blome one would get reviewed. You guys mentioned that on Fallout. Um, I guess it wasn't. At least if it was reviewed, it, no, there were no changes there. So yeah, we we talked about that while we were while we were training, uh, just the group of us. And I think the prevailing factor is the play itself was an arm high to the knee or to the neck rather. And it, there was whether it was contact, hard or soft, the fact that there was an arm in the the head and neck area is why I think the any review kind of would have been a moot point. Santiago, anything to add on the news from this week? I know you guys were talking about how great Joe Akini was. It's kind of cool that he's excited about Klaus. You know, that may not have been the case necessarily on some teams since they play such a similar position. That was that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great to to see a player um, being positive about the return of somebody who plays their same position. But you have to go back and remember that at the beginning of the season when they played together, Nico was in that role, like playing behind Klaus. Uh, so probably we'll see that again um, when Klaus returns. And Nico was mentioning today during the press conference that it took him a little bit to adjust to uh, being the number nine. It took him uh, four to five games, uh, but in the end uh, he was able to to get there and, and he's confidence uh, is really high right now it's scoring a lot of goals and um i think having klaus back uh, he's already confident in his game and he'll be able he'll be able to get back to uh, that role of playing behind klaus being that nine and a half as as he called it or it could even be a formation with with two strikers uh, it'll be mm -hmm. interesting to see what uh, carnell and his staff do uh, when klaus is fully fit and ready for 90 minutes 
Yeah, maybe Nico's sick of having to lead the line all the time and he's ready to hand it off to Klaus and do his more normal game. Um, I could see it, honestly. I wouldn't I wouldn't blame him for a second for that. Uh, you're listening to Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks for joining us, everybody. That's kind of getting you caught up to now, but we are about to get into the meat of the episode. And I'm here to bring you the unimportant information. And I'm going to start with this one. I entitled this episode uh, Cooling Off in Orlando. Why? Because it's been hotter in Missouri than it's been in Florida for the last week. So our boys are well prepared to go down to Orlando and get a nice break from the hundred something degrees to, you know, 90 might even feel good uh, down in Orlando. So I'm sure they're looking forward to that to some extent. Uh, But now for the more important stuff, Matt, you've got a whole list of things to kind of get us prepared for Orlando if you'd like to start us out. I would love to. Like I always do, let's set the stage with St. Louis and Orlando. St. Louis comes in, as we know, first place in the West with 44 points through 24 games, a 14-8-2 record with 49 goals scored, 30 goals against, and a plus-19 goal differential. St. Louis has one of the better away records in MLS. We harp all the time on MLS being a difficult traveling league. St. Louis is 5-5-1 away. St. Louis, in their latest games, has come off the Austin FC win, the 6-3 win that we just talked about at home last week. Before that, they lost their two Leagues Cup matches and then defeated Inter-Miami 3-0 on July 20th. Recapping some things that are important for St. Louis in the lead-up to Orlando, we've had seven clean sheets on the season, the last one coming against Miami. Tim Parker, funny enough, has scored in three of the last five City MLS games, Colorado, Miami, and Austin. Those being set pieces, of course, and Tim Parker having uh, a consistent goal streak is just a thing of beauty. As any day now, it seems like he could be uh, welcoming little baby Parker. And so we'll, we'll keep in mind whether or not that plays a factor in his availability for the game. St. Louis this year, funny enough, has had three major runs of form away that we counted. We started off 3-0, and and then we were 0-4-1 on the road. And then we've recently had a 2-1-0 record. So this is the second game, second run of games, that 0-4-1, included that post-Klaus through the post-Leuven injury. So that, that time period, we were very poor away. But before and now recently, we've had a kind of a nice run of form. So it'll be interesting to see if St. Louis can continue to capitalize on that momentum in their away form. Orlando comes into this fourth place in the East with 40 points through 24 games. So they have four points less than us through the same number of games. They have an 11, six and seven record with 37 goals scored, 29 goals against and a plus eight goal differential. We had a plus 19. They have a plus eight. Their home record is five, three and four. So not overly exciting, but they, they tend to, they've had a lot of draws. We'll say that at home. Their form recently, they had a longer Leagues Cup run than us, but recently they defeated the Chicago Fire 3-1 to last weekend and then lost to Inter-Miami in the Leagues Cup round of 16 after tying and winning in PKs against Houston Dynamo and defeating Santos Laguna 3-2. to The big thing for Orlando City, their form going into Leagues Cup was very strong. They started off 5-4-2, four, but only have had two losses since May 13th with a record since of 6-2-5. So they've had a lot of success in their run of form since that May time period, which we'll get to some of the factors in that when we talk about their form and some of their key players. Their home record to start the year is interesting as well. So starting the year, they were 1-3-2 and two at home. Since April 29th, they're undefeated at home, going 4-0-2. Oh, That's four wins and two draws. They have had seven clean sheets just like we have. 
Interesting to me is though two of those clean sheets have come against the New York Red Bulls, who we've talked on this show plenty of times, the similar style in the basics of the way it's implemented. There's a lot of different nuances that Carnell has implemented as opposed to just the spray and play New York Red Bulls, move it up as quickly as possible, send it style, the pure energy drink soccer, as opposed to what St. Louis does, which is a little more nuanced and and have a little more um, dynamic passing. But those two clean sheets against the New York Red Bulls by Orlando is notable. It is indeed. I, you know, I watched the Philadelphia Union game versus Orlando, and I thought Philly looked like the better team. Uh, but, you know, this Orlando squad, and I hope I'm not saying this too soon, but they're such a savvy veteran group, it feels like. They can let, they can give and they can give and they can give, uh, but they don't break very easily and they will pick their moments. And they just seem very dangerous and very unfazed by even teams that seem to be dominating them at time in, in Philadelphia Union, at least. Um, that was just some stuff I noticed in one game. Um, Santiago, do you have any thoughts about Orlando coming up? Well, yeah, Orlando coming uh, in a good run. Um, they uh, they even competed against Miami. That game uh, was tight for a while, mm-hmm. and um, they come in good form in the league. I think it's going to be a good test for for City. It's the last conference game, non-conference game, um, but Orlando it's top four in the East right now. And just thinking about a supporter shield um, table that could have some implications for um CONCACAF Champions Cup Orlando is just four points away from St. Louis and um getting a result will be an opportunity for City to distance from Orlando so even though it's not a conference game it's still important in terms of supporter shield and um just a good test against one of the best teams in the conference Absolutely. And, and Matt, I see here that they are about as healthy as we are at this point. Maybe the break did them some some good as well. Yeah, they had uh, they had some injury concerns coming into this uh, coming into the post leagues cup break. And it seems like this week, everybody's kind of rounding into form for them, uh, just like St. Louis. You know, we talked about St. Louis's uh, injuries that we've kind of taken care of similar for Orlando. It's expected that uh, they're going to be at near 100% after having some of their players return to practice this week. And that will add to the the test that I think this is going to have going against this this road team. But, um, you know, to me, Phil, both teams are healthy. Both teams have uh, a lot of the, the injury issues worked out at this point. So, you know, Gaston Gonzalez, I think, is the biggest issue for Orlando. He returned to training this week. Um, he may play this weekend, but other than him, it was Junior Urso that they were worried about. He's He returned to the last week against Chicago, should be in the similar manner to Joachim Nilsson. The bigger stories here to me aren't really the injuries, but I, I like to focus a lot on Nico Joachini from the St. Louis side because he's the we've seen in the past – uh, this season, a, a a somewhat of a fire that gets lit in certain players that are facing their former teams. And, you know, whether the club wants to admit it or not, whether the player wants to admit it or not, this week the player did admit to it. And it was exciting to hear from Nico Joachini because for those who don't know, Nico Joachini was signed to Orlando City last year. He came and joined them last July uh, being signed from Cannes in France after being on loan to Montpellier. And he only played in six matches last season, starting two of them. He only had three shots, none on target, no goals. And they played him more underneath or more on the right side as a right winger 
as opposed to what Santi said earlier that he enjoys the nine, the nine and a half, even the 10 underneath. And that I think that, that really hurt him physically and mentally in his development. And, you know, Nico's only 23 years old. And so we're talking about a player on the rise here. We, we need to keep the, the bigger picture for Nico Joachini in mind as far as where he came from and what his trajectory is. He's a, a former, recently, U.S. men's national team call-up with multiple goals, goals in the Gold Cup. So he has that eye. And we talked to him before the season on Flyover Footy, and he said those similar things of what he was looking to do for City. And he's accomplished a lot of those, but... It was almost, it was almost it, despite what happened in Orlando. Hmm. The things that he said today were very interesting as far as uh, what 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 he brings from the Orlando memories that he has. Saying it was tough mentally, physically, not as explained to me as far as his role goes and what he'd be doing. So he he said, I took it personally. These moments make you stronger, smarter, wiser. I don't regret it at all going to Orlando. He said everything happens for a reason. Been looking forward to this game for nine months. He noted that when he came on board last year, they had 99% of the team established and he was coming off of a tough season in Europe. But when, when he saw that they had three or four guys already signed as strikers, the, the writing was on the wall and they said that they never really, he said they never really engaged with him as far as starting in that position. So it, it not just adds a little bit of information to what Nico brings into this mentally and what he's looking to do against the former team or, or showing them what they could have had type of a scenario. It's that drive and determination that Jared Stroud brought to St. Louis city that Tim Parker brought that's in his Houston time isn't indicative of where he's going. It's the Jake Nerwinski stuff. You know, we're typically successful. I think we're five and three Santi and I figured out against teams that have our former teams of players who are on our team. So we have a, we have a pretty good track record that we hope that Nico can improve on. But this also plays into the conversation about Nico Joachini in general. Um, not to go off on too much of a tangent on him, but I think it's important to remember that that was his prelude to St. Louis City, is this experience with Orlando, coming there, going there and then coming to St. Louis back-to-back. Nico noted, as Santi had said earlier, it had been 18 months since he played as a nine when he came on and took that over for Klaus. So his the time that he took to get acclimated to the pure nine role, which he used to play over in Cannes in France in Ligue, Ligue 2, that, that is what he was asked to do after Klaus left. And it had been 18 months since he did that. So when you have that kind of a layoff, being asked to do different things by different teams and filling different roles, being the nine and a half, being the second striker for St. Louis, and then pivoting back to a role he hasn't played in 18 months, yeah, it's it doesn't surprise me now looking back on it all that it took him three or four weeks to find some kind of a form. And it does explain in hindsight, some of the things that we talked about and we saw in the post Klaus injury time. So there's just so much to me exciting to see about Nico Joachini in this match and also to see how the team rallies around him. Yeah. Santiago, I see you nodding your head a lot. Was there anything you wanted to add on Joachini? No, no, just, uh, I agree with, with what Matt was saying. Uh, it'll be exciting to, to see him playing against his former yeah. team. I, I'm sure he has a, a chip on his shoulder and he wants to score and show the best. The only thing I wanted to say, I remember when he was drafted, um, I reached out to, uh, somebody who, uh, follows Orlando and asked them about Joaquini and they didn't really have good comments but i think that part of that is that he didn't play much and he wasn't playing in in his natural position as number nine um so at that point i didn't know what to expect but uh but nico has done really well this season and um it'll be great to see what what he 
what Nico and Klaus will do when, when Klaus is back. Did he say I took that personally this week or was that a while back? It sounds familiar. Well, he probably said it a while back, but he said it today as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, let's keep moving here. One of the things that really helps me throughout the week, and it's in a league like MLS where there's a lot of parity, those key players for teams are massive because often they're the ones getting paid extra. Not always, uh, but it really helps me watch the game to kind of listen to Matt kind of pick out some of their best players to know who the designated players are, the U22s. So, Matt, can you lead us into that? I see Facundo Torres here at the top here. Yeah. And when I talk through some of this, um, there's a there's a level of research I can do. But also with this and some of the styles of play, I want to give credit to um, Orlando Lions Den podcast. I talked to Mike from that show who gave me some really good insight into some of their players and styles of play. So when you hear some of the details about the, the players and the styles that Orlando runs, um, give at Orlando Lions Den a follow because they do great work out there and they mm-hmm. helped us out on this as well. But it's it's those two players uh, up front for Orlando that he really said, keep an eye on these two players. And the stats back it up. Facundo Torres and Duncan McGuire. Two players in uh, markedly different areas of their career, but still being so vital for Orlando in in producing goals. They, they are both tied for first in goals with eight for Orlando City. Facundo Torres is a designated player. He's number 17, plays a midfielder, right wing role. In addition to being tied in goals with eight, he uh, has started 20 out of 24 games so far. He has the second most shots and shots on target. He's first in key passes for Orlando with 42. He's second in passes into the penalty box with 33. And he leads the team in crosses with 71. So this is a guy who the ball will often be played through. Number 17 for Orlando. Watch out for Facundo Torres. And funny enough, Facundo is actually the player that Nico Joachini named as still being in touch with from Orlando last year. Oh. Too many friendships going on or too many relationships <laughs> going, but he did call out Facundo in uh, sending some texts. So that was kind of interesting to hear. In the game I watched, he totally unlocked Philadelphia at the top of the box with a back heel to uh, McGuire, who still had to do some work to score, but it was really nice work from Torres. Nothing less than I would expect from a DP like that. And Duncan McGuire is the very fascinating one to me. So if yeah. Duncan McGuire sounds familiar, it probably harkens back to our super draft where we were watching with bated breath to see what St. Louis would do. Well, while we were doing that, Orlando, who had the sixth pick in the super draft this past year, took Duncan McGuire out of Creighton and made him their number 13 in a forward position where he didn't get the initial time playing. Not, not surprising. He didn't start initially as a super draft pick, but you would kind of say, unlike the super draft pick that we have, he slotted in very, very quickly in comparison. So he has been playing pretty consistently. He's been the starter since June 21st up front for Orlando with six goals in his last 11 games. He has eight goals total, and he only has half the minutes of Fagundo Torres played. So this mm-hmm. is an insane stat that he's been so effective in the since June 21st when he's really come on and, and made himself known. Uh, he scored in all but two home games during that stretch since June 21st. So this kid is on fire, and he's definitely the one to watch out for in addition to Facundo Torres. Great find by Orlando on the on the draft. He's he's doing really well. Um, it's, it's rare to see uh, players out of the draft uh, doing so well their first season in, in MLS, but Orlando did a good job with him, and, and he has been, uh, he earned those minutes. You were saying that he didn't start at the beginning, but with his goals, he has earned uh, those starting minutes. 
I mean, it's hurting me to say this, but he's keeping Jack Lynn in uh, Orlando too, Orlando B, Orlando City B, um, who is the second top scorer in MLS Next Pro last I checked. So, I mean, man, it hurts. But yeah, good find. And obviously he's making good on 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 the draft pick there. Yeah, and there's there's a handful of other players who are, you know, going to be interesting to watch. Uh, Mauricio Pereira, he's a former designated player. He's one of those who had his contract restructured. He's their number ten midfielder, second on the team in assists, second in key passes, first in passes into the penalty box. So he's another guy in their attacking midfield. Uh, Pereira, number ten, that we're going to watch out for. Uh, another designated player is Erkan Kara, who's their number nine on the on the field and uh, on his jersey. He's third on the team in goals with five, but he lost his starting spot really to Duncan McGuire. You know, they the formation that they run is usually the uh, 4-2-3-1. And with, with Duncan McGuire as the striker and Facundo Torres just underneath or to the right, Cara's kind of lost his spot there as the starter. So I would expect to see him sub on at some point, but we're definitely expecting to see more of Duncan McGuire. And then Martin Ojeda is their other designated player, number 11 in the midfield. He plays on the left side. He was brought in to be on the opposite side. Um, he, he came from Argentina's Godoy Cruz, and he was brought in to be that that antithesis to Facundo Torres. He leads the team in shots and shots on target, but only has four goals. So one of the things that we heard from Orlando from Mike is that Orlando's very tactical with their decision-making on shots. Um, Ojeda is kind of the exception to that rule where he he would be more likely to shoot it from range or to, to just put the ball on target as opposed to looking for a high percentage chance where we look to most other Orlando attackers to wait and pick their targets uh, to make more high percentage shots. Very good stuff. That, you're listening to Flyover Footy. We are Flyover Footy, and uh, you're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, let's. That's a good breakdown of the players you're going to see, what Orlando has looked like throughout the season. But now we're going to dig even deeper into what you might see on the pitch itself, not just the players, but what they may, might look like, some statistics that might uh, give us an idea of how they're going to play Matt, would you like to lead us with that? You mentioned the four-two-three-one, and so yeah. it looks like that's kind of what we're going to see most likely this weekend. Yeah, and the the four-two-three-one is a different four-two-three-one than St. Louis employs. Some of Orlando's strengths are using through balls, which is definitely not something St. Louis utilizes heavily. Um, they also tend to build themselves out from the back. One of the things that Orlando does well is possess the ball down their left side or, uh, or towards centrally. They, they often have more than 50% possession down the left side, the entire left side. So they like to control the ball in that area where uh, Ojeda tends to, tends to roam. But they seed possession greater than 60% down their defensive right. So they're, they don't build the ball deep right where uh, Facundo Torres is. He's more of an underlapping player often. But Orlando City's style in general under Oscar, Pere Oscar Pereja involves playing the ball out of the back, like I said. They keep it on the ground, and they've had a center back, Antonio Carlos, who has kind of... As, as Carlos goes, so goes the success of this of this buildup. Because earlier in the season, he was out, and in Orlando, that's where they had their poor run of form. His mm -hmm. his absence correlates to Orlando's form at the beginning of the season versus their form recently. Him coupled with Robin Jansen, they've found a measure of success in this style. And so being able to build out of the back starts with them. More often than not, when they start the possession with those center backs, they'll play the ball through this defensive midfield. That, again, is part of this shift in, in what Orlando found success in after the beginning of the season and they're faltering. They've moved to a double pivot 
with uh, Cesar Rujo and Wilder Cartagena, who have been what Mike called from Orlando Lions Den a revelation. He said that their slow start was pre-double pivot. And since moving to this with the two of them in the midfield, it really turned things around. And so he has a lot of positivity to say about the way that their defensive midfield works. And you can see that uh, mirrored a lot in the way that Blom and Leuven tend to work if you're looking for a correlation to City. Mm-hmm. These two players just distribute the ball differently um, through the left. Now, one of the things stats-wise that we're going to get to is the directedness. And so uh, uh, without giving too much away, they are a direct team, but in a different way than St. Louis City. Can I add to that too? In the buildup, it looks like Kyle Smith, when he's playing right back, he plays a lot like Kyle Hubert does when he's playing left back. And so you'll see Kyle Smith kind of hanging back. Matt, you kind of mentioned that in the way that they build forward, but that's a great call. Kyle Smith is actually somebody who Bradley Carnell called out today. A Louisville city legend. Uh, We were happy when he left and went to Orlando city because he was really good. Can't get away from the purple, huh? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but Bradley Cardell did call out Kyle Smith very uh, um, strategically, I think. At, when I asked him um, about Orlando's build and what they can do to kind of mitigate some work they do, Cardell called out their asymmetrical approach to the game and whether or not Kyle Smith is in the game, uh, what he does is really going to drive how Orlando likes to move the ball. He noted that oftentimes as the right back, Kyle Smith will either liken him to Akil Watts. Sometimes he'll move forward, sometimes he'll fall back. If he moves forward, it's often in a wingback overlap. And so their city is and Carnell is talking about how they're preparing for both styles where they're mm. pushing asymmetrically to the right, where oftentimes you see St. Louis City does that similar thing, dropping back into three center backs. The, the approach would kind of be the same depending on if Orlando is comfortable sending Kyle Smith up. And to that to that end, pressing has been a way that teams have found success against Orlando City, especially earlier in the season. Um, they, they're not giving their back line enough time to find space for short passes, whether it's centrally to their double pivot or through to the right back like Kyle Smith has recently. Um, disrupting the point of receiving is going to be important for St. Louis to do. And if we see Carlos in the game as a center back, he's going to pose a higher level of skill, a higher threat um, in his ball handling abilities as, as opposed to some of their other backup center backs. And so that will be something to watch is whether or not Carlos is in the game in their back line. Um, this being a very important key, they've been successful and succinct when he's in the game, uh, as opposed to Rodrigo Schlegel, who was in the match versus Chicago, all intents and all reports are that that game was much closer than three, one scoreline without having Carlos in the game. So it's one of those games too, where you can easily see a situation where if Carlos is in the game, if Kyle Smith is pushing forward, if Orlando's finding success early, St. Louis, what they typically do in trailing and Carnell has called out this approach is they're going to go all out. They're not going to play for a tie. They're not going to try and and snipe one at the end. They're going to play all out, and it will be interesting to see if this game gets kind of uh, out of hand at any point, uh, given the the way that Orlando moves the ball, which are through short passes and trying to outmaneuver a press. This harkens back for me to their success against the New York Red Bulls, where Mike had also called out the fact that pressing teams were a big problem for them but they fee- he felt like recently they found a measure of success and um, Oscar Pereira has able to mitigate that with his tactics a little bit. That's another thing that's going to be fascinating to watch is the success of Nico Joachini or Nukbi Thorson, Rasmus Alm, Sam Adeneron in their initial push points for pressing. Because if those can be successful and targeted and measured, then the disruption that can occur in the defensive midfield for Orlando could be immense. Absolutely. They are so comfortable playing out of the back. And I love 
seeing that when I watch tape of teams that were coming up to play again, it reminds me of San Jose when they were trying to play out of the back against several teams that I was watching before St. Louis got to them. And that proved very successful for St. Louis. Um, I would say Orlando's a lot calmer on the ball back there, even though they do take massive risks. And so again, it's that savvy veteran presence versus St. Louis's press. And I love that, Matt. And it's so cool that Carnell mentioned it too, that Kyle Smith, you can keep an eye on where that guy is and that's going to be a massive battle. And it might even be a bit of a measure on who's winning that battle. Can we force him to stay back or is he going to be able to push forward? Either way, can they take advantage of that? Just to kind of recount everything you just said, that's really good stuff, Matt. Thank you. Um, Santiago, any thoughts on anything he said? Any more thoughts on what you might think St. Louis might do against Orlando? Yeah, when, when Matt was talking about how Orlando plays out of the bag, the first thing that came to mind uh, was the press. But uh, Matt also mentioned that they have been doing better against that and having um, some experience uh, in, in the back line, I think, helps them. But yeah, it'll be interesting um, to see if St. Louis can find those uh, push points and uh, get some successful uh, pressing situations early in the game. And they can be had. I didn't want to make it sound like they can't be pressed. I think St. Louis can get some. I truly do. Um, and so we'll see. I know Philadelphia did. In fact, that's actually the one thing I wanted to say is that Philadelphia got to them early in the game, but they didn't score till like 60th and 90th minute in that game to draw 2-2 away. Um, and so, you know, perhaps athleticism will come into play with this, uh, but mostly it was not finishing off those turnovers mm. in the final third, which there are games where St. Louis struggles with that as well. So that'll be something to watch as well. Um, we're cutting you off a little bit, Matt. I know you got a lot more information here. Where would you like to go next? I can be quick. We'll go stats and some of the advanced stats that I like to talk about. Um, St. Louis is, and this is a good juxtaposition. St. Louis is first in the league in set piece goals. And we've talked about the success we've had while hoping to see more from open play. Now at this point, we're kind of pivoting at least for the current moment to having success with open play. Now trying to drive that. Well, while St. Louis is very successful with set pieces, Orlando is third in the league in open play goals with 29. St. Louis is right there with 27, especially after our recent onslaught that we've had. But the the third in open play goals, knowing their efficiency in goal scoring and their, the way that they are measured in their high percentage chances, that's something to keep in mind is, is they are very targeted in their approaches. They work the ball deep. The, that left side is going to be something to watch on their attacking end and their ability to finish and not just get shots on goal is going mm -hmm. to be it, – it's got to be fascinating to see. St. Louis also, in, in knowing that Orlando is third in open play goals, St. Louis is the second highest expected goals against on open play goals. Orlando is in the bottom half of expected goals against in set piece goals. So these two styles, basically it's, it's the inverse of each other. St. Louis is highly successful with set pieces. Orlando is one of the weaker teams defending set pieces. Orlando is highly successful in converting open play goals. St. Louis is the second worst team in expected goals against on open play goals. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fascinating approach to see which style wins out and if St. Louis can carry over their success in open play goals. Offensively, St. Louis has the most direct offense. We know that. We're, we've we've been in that position the entire year as far as how they play, a very direct. But Orlando is actually right there in third. So talking about where the ball is moved up the field, how the ball is moved, Orlando in uh, time it takes to move the ball up per possession is third in the league and St. Louis is first. So these are two teams that will move the ball quickly despite the fact that 
they do it differently. This goes to show, yes. this goes to reinforce some of the things I mentioned, like the formation, um, the, the directedness. They're, they're similar um, high-level markers for both teams, but the way that they go about them is so vastly different. And by Orlando also having... Uh, being 15th in the league in number of passes per sequence while St. Louis is the second fewest, it goes to show, again, different ways in which they're moving the ball. So Orlando starts far deeper than St. Louis typically does. Roman Berkey is one of our um, one of our highest pass attempts, uh, pass attempters on the team because he sends the ball and he's such a good distributor with the ball. Well, St. Louis it typically moves the ball quickly and with very few passes, Orlando's going to pass the ball through their back line. Like Santi said, they're playing the ball out of the back. And when they move vertically, it's going to take longer, take more passes, very short passes centrally and working the ball with some of these overlaps on their wings to get the ball up. This is a little more of a, um, a, a I don't know, flashier style or a little uh, uh, more exciting style where you have the ball moving very quickly on the ground. And so you're going to notice a lot of these over and under laps that Orlando tries to do. And it's going to be interesting that Orlando will move the ball vertically, but with these short passes, they have three times the amount of 10 plus offensive passing sequences that city does. Mm -hmm. So of, of sequences where there are at least 10 plus offensive passes, Orlando has three times more of those than city does. If that, that kind of hammers home the entire idea the last stat that I really have from the advanced metrics are the pressing and the PPDA. So passes per defensive action, how many passes a team allows the opponent before they make a defensive action. This is, this is the hallmark stat of a pressing team. St. Louis is the second lowest in PPDA, second to New York Red Bulls. Orlando is 13th. So by no means are they going to just sit back in a low block. They'll, they'll push and they'll press at times. They'll have a mid-block set up mostly but they're not a team that's really going to attack our back line often. Um, I look for midfield battles to be very important in this case, especially with Blome out in how we're able to distribute the ball, knowing that Orlando is about middle of the pack when it comes to allowing teams passes before they make a move. Good stuff, Matt. Thank you so much for all that information. We're a little bit out of time here for the radio portion of our show, but we're Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS, and you can listen to our full um, audio uh, episode full audio episode on anywhere you get your podcast you can find it on youtube so please do check that out subscribe to it like it leave a review it helps us in every way um that you can uh we'd, we'd appreciate if you do that so um please check us out in those places but before we go we're gonna do a little bit of prediction of the lineups matt has been barred from this because he's more or less probably seen the lineup. So we're, he's not getting a shot today. Um, and so Santiago, would you like to take uh, the first good? No, you would not. No, would not like no. I'm... Santi was with me. He's not. He's... <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm the, the same only one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to have fun. Sorry, with to spring, it. sorry to spring that one on you, but you get, you get to call it out. You probably said that Santiago was there. That's my fault. But, um, <laughs> you know, I wanted to do a three in the back fun one, but you know, Yarrow had a really rough game, guys. It was pretty rough, not defensively necessarily, but a lot of weird, weird giveaways. And I don't think he's going to play in this one, um, whereas I might have thought so before. And I don't know how I feel about these left backs. And so unless Markanich Markanic, um, is getting a lot of faith or unless Nelson's going to get a shot here, I'm going to go with Hebert as the left back again. Nelson starting this one with Parker next to him. I think Akil Watts hasn't done anything terribly embarrassing, so I think we go with him as, again as well. Um we got to go with Vasilev, as you were uh, guessing, Matt, next to uh, Leuven. I think 
uh, Azil gets another start at the 10. And then let's see. Mm, I'm going to say I think I think Carnell likes to rotate. So I think we see Stroud and let's see if Thor gets a start on this one mm-hmm. with Joe Keeney up top. And then Klaus is the super sub. Of course, any uh, winger that I haven't mentioned is going to play in this game. So at some <laughs> point, so um, it's going to be a fun one. That's my guess. I don't know if I'm on. You guys can't comment on whether that's right or wrong, but that'll be a fun one. Um, if I think we can shuffle it around a little bit if we think that um, it's three in the back, then maybe we throw in Nelson at the left mm-hmm. back and then some other shuffling can happen. We can all have fun with that in our heads as we wait for Saturday to come around. Um do we want to guess the score then? We can do that. That's legal. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. But very quick, for clarification, we don't know if we saw the lineup, but we prefer to to stay out of, of the predictions. <laughs> we, you know? we, saw, we saw enough that we don't want to, yeah. Yeah, very, very fair. Um, and I don't know either, so that was all, that was all fair game there. Uh, Santiago, what do you think the score will be? Well, yeah, I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to go with a tie, 1-1, even though we know... Um, tendencies for city to either win or lose uh, very little ties but i'm gonna go with a tie one one matt i'm gonna have to be different than santi i initially thought one one but i'm gonna go two two i, I do think it'll be a draw i think uh away away games are difficult uh, there's there's no shame in drawing away in mls and i think we we steal a point Like I said before, I think St. Louis will be relieved to get down into the 80s and 90 degree weather. So I'm going to say 3-1 victory for St. Louis. They're healthy. Let's go. I want it to happen today. I'm going to be confident. So again, go ahead. Any goals from Supper Sub, Joao Klaus in that 3-1? I think it'll be 1-1 and then it'll be uh, two goals toward the end. One from Klaus. Let's say that. All right. (laughs) All right. We're Flyover Footy, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you feel prepared for the game. And uh, we'll be doing that every week going forward. So please do join us here on the Big 550 KTRS. See you guys later. Bye-bye. chestnut uh you know i said we shouldn't do any sponsorships or anything but if we could get urban chestnut do you think we could are we big enough yet uh do we get enough clicks that's the question do we get enough clicks Uh, people click through us i'm sure (laughs) maybe to get to something else but you know when you when you try to post all the dang time on social media people have to see you somehow (laughs) i think that's something we i would i would try I don't usually ask for that kind of thing, but that, they're they're just too good not to try. Yeah, they uh, they have some of my favorite um, beer fest type stuff, like their my fest and their Oktoberfest is my absolute favorite event in the entire. Um, it might be the entire St. Louis region, but definitely as far as like beer stuff goes, it, 
Oktoberfest from Urban Chestnut is the pinnacle. I saw you post that, and I don't think I've tried it. And I love Oktoberfest. So oh I, yeah, I when they that. when they posted the other day, they they canned these and came out with them just last week or so. I know it's August and it's 120 degrees outside, <laughs> but this is the kind of drink that makes me long for those fall evenings, just out by the fire. You've got lights out. Uh, maybe you've got an outdoor TV or something like trying to set the vibe of just that back patio, just watching <laughs> football, watching soccer. And, and it's just beautiful fall weather in St. Louis with the leaves are changing. That's what I'm looking forward to with this beer. Absolutely. But it's, it seems so far away because it is literally 120 degree heat index today. <laughs> Um, we didn't ask for questions on Twitter today, but uh, yeah, I, it was a, it was a some. massively busy day for me that I just could not, uh, <laughs> there's no time for that one. So I apologize. Yeah. And I didn't think about it because I'm me and you're, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I apologize for that, but we do have some fat bug 24 asked earlier today. I don't know if they're still around, uh, but personality wise, are you seeing Thorson gelling well with the team? Everybody seems to love playing and the vibe in the practice videos slash games looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. The, uh, so I was only at training once this week. It was today. And he was walking out with, I think it was Edu Leuven and Indiana Vasilev. And it seemed like he was just one of the guys, like if you didn't know that he was brand new to the team. You wouldn't be able to pick out the fact that he was new. And that was kind of exciting to see fit right into soccer, tennis, right into the drills. They were, he, the players were giving him a tough time. Like they always give each other tough times. It was just one of the boys. And it was, that was exciting to see him fit right in. And I, I don't see any difference in uh, – be, he was also available on the press conference earlier in the week uh, with Joachim Nilsson. And nice. he seemed like he just took well to the attention. Like there was a lot of questions about just his background, his fitness, what he was up to before he came here, and and how he was acclimating with the team and the culture. Uh, offhand, some of the things I remember him saying were – that when he first came here, it was easy because he spoke English, first of all. And in Iceland, apparently, there are just all kinds of American TV shows. And so mm. they do have their own language, but everybody speaks English. And it was very similar, he said, to um, Joachim Nilsson. So he knew of Nilsson, and he had said that their cultures were not too dissimilar, the, the Scandinavian uh, countries. And, and that was kind of interesting to see where he came, almost hit the ground running in America. And it's, it's good to see that because with so many European transfers or transfers from abroad, there could be a culture shock. And it seemed like there wasn't, not just from a fitness perspective, because he seems like a super fit mm -hmm. guy who uh, earlier today talking to some of the staff, they were saying he's definitely a guy who watches everything that goes into his body. He came here able to go for a reason, not just training with beer shot in their preseason and playing a game before this, uh, a, a, a preseason game. But his overall fitness is just top notch. And in the culture wise is the similar thing to that where he was the, the American television, the speaking English. It was just an easy adaptation. And it's just the the things once you arrive in St. Louis as far as like finding a place to live and what are you going to do with your family because he has a young child. Those kinds of things that play into um, his mindset that you have to deal with. But he's just definitely one of the guys from everything that it seems like. It seemed extremely seamless. And I enjoyed uh, speaking of those two, Nilsson and Thorson. Uh, I enjoyed Tom, Tom Timmerman posting like that uh, 
Thorsten's hometown is now by far the most northernmost hometown of everyone on our team. And it was yeah. like 230 miles north of Nielsen's, who who was previously the most furthest uh, north. So that was a lot of that was a lot of fun. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I had no I, I had no idea that him and Nielsen were that uh, close as far as their their hometowns. And then looking at the southernmost, I think it was Blome and Klaus. Klaus. Yeah. yeah, and actually Klaus was further south, which I yes. didn't think was going to be the case at all. But it I, is. Brazil is huge. Like, is, yeah, <laughs> we we talk about their their soccer um, prowess often, but just as a country, that country's footprint is massive, and it stretches so far down south to yeah. South Africa. That's it. Boggled my mind when I looked at that. Yeah, I was I was I was definitely shocked about that. Um, Bilbo Swaggins asked, "Hey, do you guys know why Leuven didn't get credit for an assist on Sam's first goal against Austin?" Was this the the flick? No. Which goal was this? I think that was his second. Wasn't that Sam's second goal? What was Sam's first goal? I should have had my notes pulled up for this. Uh, Sam's first goal. So Nico scored the first uh, two open play goals. Sam's goal was Berkey Long. Leuven up to a dinner on, carried in the box. Oh, no, that was the flick. It was the flick. Oh, okay. Um, Best... I got is that it went off of a player, maybe? Because Leuven had three assists in that game. I don't think Leuven sent him the first one. Maybe he's, was there a second one? What was Sam's second goal? Joe Keeney was from Edu. So it was, he had an assist on Parker's goal. He had an assist on Joe Keeney's first goal. Yeah. And are we sure he didn't get an assist on that one? What I think Sam's- he might have gotten an assist. Okay. The, thir- the the second Sam goal was the back, not the back pass, but it was the goalie interception. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think Leuven got an assist on that because he was credited with three assists. That's what we were told post game anyway. Okay. So we think he did get credit for that, but please feel free to correct us. There are people live on Twitter right now. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so that is one question. Oh, uh, Matt's 1968. We'll try to get to this in a second or at the end of this show, he's asking about the formation. And so maybe we'll get into that more. We did talk about it in the main part of the show. So check that out on the podcast. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for formation talk. I know I, I could do it all day. So I'm good with this. Jonathan Himmelberg, who's been with us many times, uh, joins us on YouTube. Thanks man. Uh, yeah. to continue with Bilbo's topic of Leuven, did you see his fought mod rating for the last match? It's Surely like 9.8. That's I didn't know it was that high. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, no, it, it had to have been his highest. It was his highest ever at City. I know that. And I don't mm. think he'd ever had a 9.8 um, coming from. Uh, Wild. Yeah, it was. Bilbo saying that the Ostrak goal, uh, Ost, uh, Leuven was credited with the, the assist. So I don't know. It had to have been hit off a player because in those scenarios, it, it's similar to what happens with Rasmus Alm all the time is the, the player's not credited with an assist if at any point it touches the the opposing player so even if like it's not a controlled touch or it goes off a shoulder goes off a hip or something like that if it touches an opposing player in any way mls does not give an assist it's kind of like the exact opposite of the way they give these hockey assists where secondary assists are given they're very stingy with taking away those assists too Mm -hmm. yeah that's bothering me now i wish i had it right in front of me but i'm gonna lose con uh concentration if i try to figure that out um, okay, let's get into our notes here. Uh, yeah. The first one assistant. here is discussion on sales because, as you said, Sam Dineron has been rumored uh, this week to a couple, what, uh, Bundesliga two teams, championship teams. 
Azeel Jackson's been rumored to those kind of teams. Nico, um, I think we did those rumors. <laughs> yeah. I we to be clear, that's not a rumor. That's just a discussion topic. Yeah. So there there are rumors that there is interest in AZ Jackson. Those rumors were earlier in the transfer window. Um and and I I tried to uh encouraged skepticism with that especially because of the 20 percent sell-on fee that minnesota united gets for any az sale mm. that's big and so we we only uh, acquired him for one hundred fifty thousand dollars in gam but 120 sell-on fee is significant and so if you're if you're looking at an az jackson to me especially with his importance to the team right now he hasn't reached the point of uh, development that you can really reach his full potential in sale. So next year is going to be an interesting point to see if AZ can continue to develop, whether it's the winter transfer window, which would be interesting, but especially next summer for AZ. The Sam Adeneron news was new this week, and it came from Manuel Veth, our friend over at Transfermarkt, and it came. It kind of coincided with all of the MLS valuation updates, where Sam Adeneron's market value went up, I believe, to six hundred thousand. Dollars and Transfermarkt reports that sources have told them that Czech club Sparta Prague, Austrian side Rapid Vienna, German side Ingolstadt, and Norwegian club Rosenborg have all shown interest in signing Sam Adeneron. These are all like Europa League quality These are, teams. Yeah, exactly. These are European com- competition teams. We're not calling like not top of the level Champions League, but these are Europa League uh, mainstays. And so it's significant that they're they're looking and they have their eyes on Sam Adeneron, no doubt partially because of Lutz Finenstiel, who has his connections all over the world and his Rolodex is long and wide. And I'm sure the sheer fact that he has brought certain players into St. Louis City has made them more of a target in, in and of itself yeah. than anywhere else. So this is a thing that St. Louis is probably going to have to deal with as far as these kinds of rumors where... A player who is uh, showing the quick quality that an AZ Jackson or Sam Adeneron are showing, and they're young, it will be much more visible to people globally than if a team that has uh, structured itself from uh, MLS veterans, from the sporting director to the coach, and and they have a much more insulated network. They're not going to have the same kind of visibility as a Lutz Finnish Shield team. That's just that is what it is, and St. Louis is going to have to either not just accept it, but kind of play along with it and so these rumors are just furthering that to me where we have about what is it's august 24th we're recording this we've got about two weeks or so left in the european transfer window for most countries i think i think the 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 interest in sam is i would not expect us to sell him um because of his importance that he's shown to the team and he's similar to az jackson right like the the thought process is I don't expect AZ Jackson to be sold because there's still more development that can gain more value from a sale. Mm. I don't know what any of these clubs might have been ballparking, but seeing Sam Adeneron in about, if I can recall, like six weeks worth of action, something like that, six to eight weeks, and having the goals come quickly, yeah, it's great. But don't forget, this past week, those were his first two run-of-play goals. So he's just now showing that he can put it all together with the finishing ability. We had questions before this about his finishing ability in MLS with City. He's put those to rest. That's that's done. I, I have full confidence in him. But it's going forward how much more value can be extracted by the play that he's putting forward. Now, the other thing to me, though, on that is, Phil, is are we going to get back into a situation with Sam Adeneron that we were in at the beginning of the season where this talent was always there, clearly, 
but he didn't have the playing time with City because of people in front of him who were just higher in the depth chart and taking mm-hmm. his time. You had Klaus as the single striker for three or four games. And then you had Nico Joachini push himself into the equation as the second striker in 4-4-2 formations. Since then, it's, it was a few games of Sam subbing in but not really doing anything until he went out on loan, found his form, came back, an injury gave him time to play, and, and now we're seeing what he can do. But we've just spent so much time talking about Klaus coming back. We just signed Nuke V. Thorson. A, an attacker those are two other attackers vying for time and we still have rasmus alm who is the second striker slash attacking midfielder there's a lot of mouths to feed in this offense now and so when you talk about the valuation of sam adeneron and any potential sales you have to factor in playing time and, and if you're going to try to extract value from the player you have to continue to showcase the player i agree and, and you said you don't foresee st louis selling sam well my father-in-law is a bit of a, a real estate genius and he tells a lot of stories about, you know, he's, he's had a building or his dad has had a building and he bought it for a certain amount and someone wants to buy it for a little bit more. And, you know, the guy's like, well, it's worth more than that. Um, but to keep it, you got to work on it. Right. And so yeah. it's like, do you stare just a free couple a hundred thousand dollars that we just got for free in a valuation, you know, rise. Um, do you say no, if someone makes an offer, that would be pretty tough. And especially if the man, uh, if we're not guaranteeing him playing time now, if we get into CONCACAF champions cup, uh, then I think you keep him no matter what, but you know, you don't say no to money in your hand, uh, unless, um, unless you really, really, really need the player, I think. And so it'll be interesting to see because I agree that those guys can develop a whole lot more under our watch. And I think they can get better and become even more valuable. But, you know, it's always uh, when do you sell? When do you when do you when do you hold, you know? Yeah. And that's so the depth chart we saw at the beginning of the season, Caden Glover is still on the roster as well. And you figure <laughs> it's only a matter of time before he's going to try to push his way through to he already he's under contract with city for five years. And so at what point is he going to see time? Because that's another yeah. young player who not only do we want to develop and do we want to see as a successful homegrown in MLS, but the ultimate goal is for him to move on to Europe, just like it is for everyone. And that's where the next step in successful mm. careers are. And we can't do that unless we play him. And so whether whether Sam makes it through the end of his contract in a couple of years uh, with City or they sell him in the winter, they sell him this summer, next summer, if he keeps showcasing himself like this, um, next, next fall the opportunities at the very least are going to be the U.S. Open Cup, um, hopefully Champions Cup, those kinds of things in addition to MLS. So you have all these fixtures. Next summer seems like a pretty ideal time to look to some of these guys like AZ, like Adeneron, and whoever else might come on. Because the AZ Jackson, the those AZ, AZ Jackson rumors and these Sam Adeneron rumors, they're pretty quick on the heels of them actually getting time with City. AZ Jackson didn't start with City this year. He came on after playing with City 2 for a while. Sam Adeneron, he didn't come on to City until after the Klaus, like long after the Klaus injury, almost to the Leuven injury perspective, where San Jose Earthquakes game was his first showcase game. And, and first game back, really, actually, because he came back that like two days before that game. But 
that's that just goes to show how quickly these rumors are popping up after the players are finding success. And so who knows where we might be by the end of the season? We've got 10 games left. That's plenty of time for a Tomas Ostrak, even a Nukvi Thorson or anyone Rasmus Alm, any one of these other guys to showcase themselves to the point where rumors start popping up about them. Do you think, you know, you mentioned how are we going to play Sam? And immediately I was like, well, if we play with two strikers again, then Sam's going to get minutes. But when you play with two strikers, that can often come at a cost of either a midfielder, which I yep. think we can spare right now, actually, would be the best place to to cut a player. If we have three midfielders, I think we could go to two with two strikers. Uh, but, you know, do you want to play two strikers at the loss of some of our wingers? Because that's not something we have so many wingers that need time, including Thor, who just came in. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, I like what we did in Austin because I noticed multiple times in Austin that while we started and supposedly had a uh, 4-4-2 formation, I believe it was, with Alm and Joachini up top, wasn't that what it was? Um, what ended up happening yes. in what ended up happening in practicality is our offensive shape, when we had time to set the ball and work it out of the back or build it through Parker and Blome and Leuven, we would have three at the back where Hebert Parker and Yarrow would stay deep and Akil Watts would push up to the point where it was essentially Akil Watts and Jared Stroud as wingbacks or wingers. Mm -hmm. And and you would have them in almost a three, four, one, two at times. So you're looking at, you're looking at three center backs of Hebert, Parker and Yarrow in this game. You have Jared Stroud on the left. You have Akil Watts on the right. You have Leuven and Blome centrally. You have AZ Jackson at the 10, and then you have Nico Joachini and Rasmus Alm up top. Well, if that that formation is super exciting to me because that's what Jared Stroud can be. He can be excellent in that role. Mm-hmm. And he's he's been moved into that wingback role a few times. But Akil Watts has also shown to be very adept at his ability to move forward and still track back on defense when he needs to. So if we needed to fall back into a four or a five-man back line, we could. But in that Austin game, what ended up happening is it was that three four one two on offense when we could, but it was more of that four four two when we backed up into defense. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of flexibility going on with our wingers and with our outside mids that I think can we can leverage to some of these depth conversations. So Thorson, we're told, is just an attacker. Like he can play all over the field despite the fact that he came in under the guise of playing on the left side. Rasmus Alm is the same way. So we we've had multiple formation conversations where we have one striker and Rasmus Alm is the right attacking mid. But in practicality, he's he plays a high mid. He's never played a mid in a 4-4-2. Whenever we do a 4-4-2 and Rasmus Alm is on the field, he's always that second striker, that yeah. second man up top, the nine and a half, so to speak. He's never dropped back into a diamond formation. And so I, I've been wrong on that before because I've said earlier in the season, I wonder if we can stay with a 4-4-2 diamond and have Sam and Deneron, Nico Joachini up top, and Rasmus Alm be our right-sided mid. It's never worked out that way because Rasmus Alm has never played that deep. It's always been a guy like Indiana Vasilev on the right side or Edu Leuven out there. And so the the ability to get at least two strikers on the field at all times seems like a very, very viable pattern going forward. And if you do this 4-4-2 on defense, or if you do this 3-4-1-2 on offense, it provides that ability to keep that going. 
It does. And, and, you know, there's really no reason to strap ourselves down with any one of those formations because I do think they'll be interchangeable. And I do think too, that, you know, that nine and a half is obviously what Nico feels comfortable with. And so I do think Alm will start playing more wing that you said he doesn't play much. I do think he's going to end up pushing back to there because I think Thorson also is a bit of a nine and a half slash wing, more like Alm, even though they yeah. play differently. So, you know, just so much flexibility and, and Carnell and Lutz have never felt tied down in what they have to do based on their personnel. They do what works, you know, and they try new things and they, they stick with what, what sticks. Yeah. And um, I like to listen to Sirius XM's counterattack in the afternoon. And Eric Winalda had an interesting uh, point a couple weeks ago <laughs> through all of his interesting points. Yeah. I was going to say something, but I bit my yeah, <laughs> Let's stay specific on this because I, I knew you would. But the, the topic is about the creativity in the final third and how you have formations that their job is designed to move the ball up the field to a certain point. And then you just have to rely on creativity. So mm-hmm. players have certain jobs in what parts of the field to cover, and they do their jobs up until the ball gets to the final third, and then their job is to f- put the ball in the net, to get in certain areas, to create space. Formations often break down to the point where players are willing to move themselves into, into further parts of the field than their, their job is to patrol because they're trying to create space, create opportunity that they're seeing in the moment. They're reading the defense. They're seeing how they can position themselves in front or behind. And so you see a lot of breakdowns in where players are. You see Rasmus all moving centrally or to the left side of the field in certain areas, far away from what his defensive responsibility is because they're in that final third being creative. And so that's the one like additional takeaway I have about the formation conversation is formations play a part in about 75% of the game, 66% of the game. And then once things get into the final third and you have that ball that you're trying to you're trying to find ways to score and you've moved the ball into that final third, the penalty area, things break down for a reason. And it's the ability for St. Louis to quickly get back into formation to prevent the counterattack is where a lot of the successes or failures have often come. And, and that's where our line pushes so high and stays to a certain point. And those creativity, those creatives in the attacking midfield have to be able to track back very quickly in order to find their positions for their actual formation. Yeah. And when it comes to the attack, I think uh, it's just a guess. It's just a vibe that we've gotten throughout the season that we haven't said for a while now, but I think Carnell agrees with, with Winalda. I think he likes to set his um, attackers in good positions and then let them do their thing. And I think that was evident. Um, my guess is based on this evidence in that he kind of let um, Nico do his thing for a couple of weeks um, when he took over for Klaus at the, at the straight nine. And I think it wasn't till it didn't go well a couple times where he started to get involved and, and tell Nico what he needed him to start doing. And we saw that was fruitful in, in lots of ways. And so, oh, yeah. you know, it just vibes that I think Carnell likes to let them do their thing and have their freedom until he can't, you know, so, um, but we fit that in there. We talked about formations for you guys. So we fit that in. Hope you enjoyed that, but we got a couple more topics before we go. One is one of my favorites. I've slipped it in multiple times today. CONCACAF champions cup. We have some updates on who's in and how many slots there are left and where St. Louis could possibly fit into that, um, formula, I guess. 
Yeah, CONCACAF Champions Cup is a revamped version of the CONCACAF Champions League. And for those who don't know, it's basically our version of the UEFA Champions League. It's the continental competition uh, between North American, Central American, and Caribbean teams, club teams that qualify from their domestic leagues, from some of the, the more domestic competitions like US Open Cup, Leagues Cup, Canadian Cup, MLS, uh, League MX those different ways that have allotments to the tournament. And it was overhauled this year to, first of all, be rebranded CONCACAF Champions Cup, kind of a hearkening back to what it used to be called, but also expanded. So there's there's an expanded um, assortment of teams, and we already know uh, a good handful of the teams that are going to be in the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup. And so looking at these numbers really quickly, um, it looks like there are... There's 27 teams it, it shows listed here. Of the teams that have qualified already, five of them come from MLS. And these are for Leagues Cup and the U.S. Open Cup. And so as these competitions finish, you have qualifiers for the next version of the Champions Cup. So far, the Vancouver Whitecaps, Inter-Miami, Nashville SC, Philadelphia Union, and Houston Dynamo have qualified from both Leagues Cup and the U.S. Open Cup. Miami, as the winner of Leagues Cup and as a finalist for the U.S. Open Cup, makes the Houston Dynamo, the other finalist, an automatic qualifier. So those two competitions are decided. What's left is MLS. MLS is awarded five spots in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. First spot goes to the MLS Cup winner. The second spot goes to the Supporter Shield winner. The third spot goes to the other conference winner of those. The next two spots go to the next highest in the Supporter Shield. And then if any of those spots, so the one of those five that I just listed, if any of those spots are already taken up by a team qualifying through another competition, Vancouver, Miami, Nashville, Philadelphia, Houston. The next team in the Supporter Shield standings by points in league play would qualify. So this is pertinent for especially teams like Nashville, Philadelphia, and potentially Houston. But Nashville and Philadelphia especially because they are very high-position teams in the East right now. And so you're talking about like the, those next two spots below the the conference winners, MLS Cups, Supporter Shield. Those next two spots could easily be second place in the West could be City. Um, second place in the East, third place in the East could be Nashville and Philadelphia. So we're talking about an increased opportunity for St. Louis City to go into CONCACAF Champions Cup just by sheer numbers game. Not necessarily even thinking about how well we're doing right now because right now we have a spot. As the Western Conference leaders, we would have a spot if the season ended today. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about what if things go south? What if we get second or third in the conference? What if we, um, what if we start to to not have a as clear of a path? Well, there there's more paths opening up by this, and the tournament itself is still going to occur throughout the season, starting in February of next year. So it'll be on top of MLS play, just like U.S. Open Cup. Mm -hmm. More fixture congestion, which is something that we'll discuss in depth if and when it does happen, especially that'll be an interesting off-season conversation. But the go-home for me right now, and that's why I keep bringing up Champions Cup qualifying spots, especially this week with the Open Cup semifinals, mm -hmm. is that it does directly impact City. And really what I love about it is it gives every single match, every single point that we talk about, importance. If you're talking about the the... Three, two of the five spots being based on points. If you're talking about additional spots available strictly based on points, every point counts from here on out. Not just to make the playoffs, not just to have home field, not just to win a conference, but to make this Champions Cup. Like 
that's that's why every single one we talk about wins and losses and draws every point counts and oftentimes with mls the the season just gets so much discredit by saying that the playoffs are so expanded it diminishes what the the what happens in the regular season every point doesn't matter most games don't even matter this is the factor that says every single point matters and i love that yeah, it, it it reminds me a little bit of, you know, I'm going to go back a little bit too far here, but, you know, looking at those recent valuations rising, it's really interesting to see that, you know, Berkey actually rose in value by coming to MLS. I guess, Matt, you looked it up yeah. for me. Yeah. That his value dropped when he wasn't a starter anymore. And then since then, um, St. Louis has actually risen his value, um, which is so freaking cool to be able to say that about Berkey. Um, and you know, I loved what Carnell said about the loss. And even before we played club America, that it's another level. St. Louis was probably starting to feel good about how they played in MLS. They were feeling good about their individual levels. Well, then we got a whole bunch of humble pie handed to us (laughs) by club America. And it showed that there's another challenge out there for us inside MLS in a way by a league's cup. And so that's so cool. And now we have not just an individual player challenge through a league's cup, which we may or may not have cared about. I think everybody cares about CONCACAF champions cup and champions league when it was that, um, it's, it's the ultimate, um, competition in North America really. Um, and it, and it's more valid because there's a home and a way it's, it's legit. Right. And so that's yet another challenge that these players can have individually and another reason, like you said, Matt, to not give up a single point um, at home and and to try to draw at least on the road for the rest of the season. Otherwise, what was St. Louis's motivation is to take it easy until the playoffs and then burn everybody best you can once you get there. Well, now there's a lot more um, effort into each individual game, I think. Well, and, and two, there's, it, it doesn't just stop at CONCACAF Champions Cup because for those following the league for so long, the big story has been MLS winning CONCACAF Champions League and moving on to the FIFA Club World Cup. That's the mm-hmm. that's True. the next level beyond this. And it's always mm-hmm. been this mountain against League MX teams that MLS has had to fight against. And in its current iteration of Champions League with the this expanded type roster and now with this new Champions Cup of a, a even more expanded group of teams, MLS for the longest time hadn't sent anybody to the FIFA Club World Cup. And the Seattle Sounders finally broke through that recently, but this is the this is the battle. It's it's not just the biggest continental tournament, but it's also it's it's pride for our country in saying we can send our best club of the past year and it can be the best club in the entire region. Mm-hmm. And we're we're on par and we can compete against the best from Asia, the best from Africa, the best from Europe, the best from the the Pacific. Like all of these this this puts the Seattle Sounders were put on the stage. They were put on the map. And that's where St. Louis could have the potential to land. Could be it could be that fairy tale that we always talk about this MLS season is, but that could be another fairy tale is St. Louis could land 
in that spot in their second year of existence. How cool would that be? And like uh, CONCACAF Champions League uh, changing and adding more games, just like the World Cup added more games, just like the League's Cup added more games to our schedules. Well, the Club World Cup is adding more teams as well and more games. So um, yeah. more chances for that. Um, Seattle looked good um, in the few games they got they played. They just got beat on a, on a silly goal. So that was a fun one to watch. I would love to see my team there as well. And there's a chance, right? There's absolutely a chance. Right. We got one more sad topic to kind of close on today and maybe we'll come up with something before we actually close but i'll figure a happy topic out while we talk about <laughs> it was announced today that san diego loyal are going to be folding after the 2023 season and this is just um this is a move that feels extremely familiar to st louis fans uh fans of st louis fc um you know i wrote today that it kind of reopened a wound a little bit i'm thinking about um actually I'm mostly thinking about um, happy, you know, bittersweet thoughts, actually, because it was kind of nice to know that the team wasn't going to play because then I just really, really consumed uh, thoroughly the rest of those seasons. So um, or that season or whatever. But um, so it was good in a way. And I'm sure there will be some relief at some point for San Diego loyal fans in that way. But um, yeah, I mean. Uh, went through a series of, of emotions uh, listening to that and, and just feeling for those San Diego loyal fans today, for sure. I don't know how you felt, Matt. Same way. Um, you know, for the longest time, we had heard that the loyal weren't going anywhere. And for background on this, in case anybody doesn't know and isn't familiar, um, San Diego loyal plays in the USL championship. And recently, a San Diego group or the ownership in San Diego was awarded an MLS team. And we were told that they the loyal don't have ties to that group um landon donovan is associated with the san diego loyal team uh, former coach gm i think he's former gm mm -hmm. uh but he, he's associated with them and it was always rumored that you know there would be they would be remiss the mls side if they didn't make some kind of arrangement with with landon donovan and, and the loyal especially because they had a loyal following like their their fans are rabid they're very passionate and it's exciting to see that from afar. And their name loyal but, was from the NFL leaving San Diego. So it's not, you know, <laughs> there are multiple uh, parallels. I'm here. glad you, I'm glad you said that because that adds to the narrative of why this is extra special. I think for a St. Louis fan watching yeah. this, um, not just for the St. Louis FC connection to that and, and what we had to go through as St. Louis FC fans, but that this team was spawned from, that that departure and we know what it's like to lose a football team in the the most despicable of ways and so there's a lot of um looking in the mirror and seeing yourself in what's going on down there but i i just um i we had it a little different so it's the nuances that go into it right phil like we always talk about that that word nuances mm -hmm. and there are nuances to what happened with st louis fc as far as jim cavanaugh being the owner tom strunk being associated with st louis city as well as st louis fc and uh, a feeling as if st louis city can be carrying on the the tradition or carrying on the spirit so to speak of st louis fc and everything that they embodied even though it was gallagher and it, it's a different group like there there is this the the tie that binds in jim cavanaugh and tom strunk and and we as fans have been led along that string and that tie that binds those two organizations and the, we have made the passage from one to the other as a result I don't know the intricacies that go into what the MLS San Diego team has done as far as outreach or um, an extension to the loyal fan base 
much less the loyal organization. But I do know that I do know the memories that I have in those departing days of St. Louis FC. And the the one that comes to mind is especially the playoff game against Louisville, where my wife and at the time my only daughter uh, made the trek down. And it was just the it was the most devastating thing to see the team that you had loved for years and years for the last time. And 2023 is going to be the last time that the loyal fans see their team. And that's devastating. It doesn't matter the politics. It doesn't matter the what will be in the next few years. It's a sad time. And I don't wish that upon anybody for the club that they love or support, no matter what happens next. Because God knows that what's happened in St. Louis has been extraordinary. And I'm one of the happiest people, most positive people at all times about St. Louis City. But it it sometimes it takes a lot of pain to get to that happy place. And that was a very painful time in St. Louis soccer. And unfortunately, it seems like San Diego is going through that. And so you can't help but just feel bad for them. Yeah. And and I think in, in a way, in what Loyal kind of differs from St. Louis is they were socially one of the most um, progressive clubs in the league. Um, you know, yes. Landon Donovan famously took um, a massive stand um, to defend one of his players. Um against you know some some bad things that were said on the field and he just refused to play some games that cost his team points um it was a dangerous thing to do um as far as the season goes but um you know he didn't care he, he stood on principle over uh points and his team backed him on that and um i don't know there it's a really cool club and, and i hate to see them go um we were very lucky that we got such good owners uh, even though it wasn't, you know, a seamless transition from one to the next, it doesn't feel like yeah. a continuation exactly. Um, and the loyal won't get that either. And so all I can hope for them is, you know, I, I hope these feelings pass and are soothed by the next team. And I hope uh, you guys get as lucky as we did with, with scoring the lottery on, on owners and, and perhaps it'll all turn out good in the end, um, like it has here. Uh, but you know, it never feels good in the moment. And, you know, even now as smooth and as lucky as we are, I still, man, I still think, you know, I wish it was seamless. I wish it was the same club. Exactly. I still miss certain things about that small boutique environment, as I like to call it. And so, yeah, you know, we feel for you guys. We really do. So that said, I haven't had a single drink of beer. I'm going to drink one in honor of the loyal. <laughs> hey cheers cheers to the loyal um if you want we can end this on a positive yep. note i had a backup in case you didn't but i'm sure yours is better well i'll, I'll thank stubby for this yep, one in the chat that's what i was gonna say <laughs> okay yep because i i just pulled it up to see what it what uh some what it was about and uh if if you haven't heard by the time this is released to the pod the Part two of The Return has been released by the club on Thursday evening, which is about 10 minutes, 10 or 11 minutes of a spotlight on Joachim Nilsson. His journey from his devastating knee injury sustained in the UEFA Nations League last June 2002 uh, against Serbia, I believe, where he hmm. was signed to St. Louis City. He was out for 15 months. He made two appearances with City 2. Both of them were spotlighted on the return part one. Both of them are available. They're available on all the, the team socials, the channels, YouTubes. Um, but this one in particular, it focuses on his return against Austin 
it focuses on the lead up and everything that went into his career. It has, it looks like it has some nice, um, nice interviews with him. It also has some clips from the locker room, Bradley Carnell speaking with the team and the usual insane production quality that the team puts out because Phil, you and I were talking offline about, uh, graphics and production and things like that. This team does it right. And they do justice to moments like this. Like that's one thing that I'll really tout is Joe Martinez does photography and just everything that goes into the, the photos that are captured, the videos that are made, uh, Neil Weissman and, and Peter Woods and the, the quality of production and, and just raising the level of importance of everything. And it, I haven't looked, I haven't listened to this yet, but looking at the, video of it everything just seems as high level and as doing justice to nilson's return which for the player like we think of this as a defender for city who's touted as being one of the best center backs in the league and everything that he could bring to the team think about this from the player perspective he, he knew he was coming to st louis he sustained an injury in international play he kept trying to come back month after month after month last year finally having surgery last november and it's it's taken until August of the year after to come back. He's got a family. He has he he's from Europe. Like the, going through all these changes, rehabbing, I can't imagine it. And to to finally have that exhale of stepping back on the field against Austin for the first time in front of the home crowd with his family in attendance. That I mean, that gives me goosebumps just thinking about how monumental that is as a moment much less thinking about his first start, hopefully against Orlando, Mm -hmm. but wherever it comes, just being back like this and being one of the guys, uh, just like we were talking about Thorson earlier, how does he gel with the team? He's one of the guys. He's finally team activities, partaking in everything. He's back and and he's back to the game that he loves. And it's exciting to see. It is. Um, Look forward to him starting and playing. I look forward to him starting, and then I look forward to him scoring a goal like Parker has because the man – I mean, hasn't he scored two goals with City 2 already? Back-to-back yeah. games, yeah. So, And he scored in the Bundesliga, uh, so I think we're probably going to see at least one goal. I think by the even by the end of the season, we're going to see one from him. The, we, set pieces are this team's MO mm-hmm. for a reason. They're good at drawing them up. They're successful in implementing them. And if they say we want to get this guy a goal, I tend to believe that they're going to get this guy a goal. And if you now they didn't, they didn't say they're going to, they want to get this guy a goal, but I'm just saying if they decide they want Nielsen to have a goal, I have a feeling that he'll get a goal. Yeah. And like, it's a dilemma, right? It's a dilemma. Cover Parker with your best guy while you're leaving Nilsson <laughs> with the next best guy exactly. or vice versa. So, um, oh my goodness, it's, it's, a, it's a big benefit having him back. And I, I look forward to seeing him in the full 90 for sure. Um, yes. I had something else to say. Oh, you know, your praise about Peter Wood and the whole team. So good. You know, I would love to see Peter Wood unleashed. I give the man 45 minutes, 60 minutes with someone. Ideally, like Carnell or Lutz, I want to hear this man go crazy. Make it two hours. I'd love to hear he, it. <laughs> he said he has some city voices in the bank. So I, I have a feeling here in September, we're going to be unleashed on some city voice episodes. Those deep dives to the players. He gets to the heart of what, what matters and what's fun to listen I'd to. I'd pay good money for unedited versions of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's it from us, though, everybody. Thanks for joining us in the wind down. Uh, yeah. Enjoy the game on Saturday and look forward to uh, Fallout on Monday again with Matt and Santiago. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Thanks.